Good morning, Imago. We are going to have fun, okay? So just disregard JJ. We're going to have a good time. Yes, I'm taking you through an Old Testament review, which I already knew I'd have to butter you up for, but we're going to get through this. Um, so today we are, if you want to go ahead and start the slides, we're going to be talking about what giving and generosity look like from a spiritual perspective. I'm going to say now, and I will say at the end, there is no judgment, pressure, condemnation, guilt, or any of those other things connected to anything I'm going to say. If you hear that, disregard it, throw it to the side, or let me know, and I'll clarify. I will wrap up with that as well. Sex, politics, and money, am I right? Like, we love talking about this stuff here at Imago. <laughs> but I do want to start, um, and I'll try to repeat for anybody who's watching online, but for those in the room, what are some things that you've heard over your time in the church about what it means to give? All right, so that's a good smattering. I'm actually, I really am grateful that, that there was some positive stuff that people have gotten from the past I've mostly heard some of this other stuff and coming from a very, very poor family and then really being paycheck to paycheck most of my 20s and 30s, I had a lot to unpack when I started understanding some of this differently. So the reality is that the ideas of generosity or giving and also serving are practices that exist in pretty much every spiritual um, vein, every religion. Um, they're focuses on these things, but obviously it gets awkward to talk about in community, and I'm really hoping that some of what we do today can make it less awkward, because it really doesn't need to be. Um, nobody's asking for anybody's pay stubs. We're not looking to get into anybody's details at all. This is more about a spiritual practice that just like every other spiritual practice, you determine for yourself the best way to, to walk out. Does that make sense? Prayer, scripture reading, serving, giving, it does all kind of fall under that, that umbrella of spiritual practices. So I am an Old Testament nerd. I, I think there is so much more to the Old Testament than we have really been, give, been privy to, partly because it takes a little work to get into the context. And it's a very different reality than the one we're living in. And so there's some digging that needs to happen. But what I'm going to do for the first probably half of this is just walk you through kind of the establishment of the idea of giving in the context of the Jewish religion in the Old Testament from my understanding. So starting with the law, which is what we're most familiar with, um, we see the idea of the tithe listed quite a bit in Leviticus. The tithe, for anybody who doesn't know, was the idea that you take 10%, one-tenth of your grain, of your oil, of your wine, of your livestock, and you set that aside as God's portion. We have not always been taught what that means, which is part of what we're going to dig into a little bit. So the idea is that it's set apart or it's made holy for the Lord. It is considered the priest's portion. If you want to redeem something, say you have a beloved sheep that you don't want to sacrifice, there is an equation set up that you add one-fifth of that thing's value and you pay that amount to buy livestock in exchange for that thing that you want to keep. So it wasn't meant to wring every good thing out of anybody's hand. There was a method to be able to kind of recalculate the value 
The idea was still, though, that you're giving of what you have. Um, and then there are specific commands that say don't separate the good from the bad. And it's not to say that you had to give absolutely your best. There are some offerings that do say that. Um, so I'm not saying that was never the case. But in general, the idea was similar to like when you're getting food together for a food pantry, don't get the expired stuff and put it in the bag. Um, if you have your kids picking out toys to give away because they have too many, don't just give the ratty ones. Maybe there are some new toys that they've never taken out of the box. You teach your kid, right, to maybe that's a toy that another kid who doesn't have as much would like to have. That, I think, is more the spirit behind all of the language about, like, giving your best. It wasn't about, like, you couldn't keep your best. It was about make sure you're not giving the rotten grain <laughs> when you're separating out your tithe. Um, so the next slide, we're going to go into numbers. Numbers 18. So this is where we're seeing the people have come out of Egypt and they are establishing what they are going to look like as a nation and as a society, right? And it's, to me, it's absolutely fascinating. You have to get past the boring language, but it's absolutely fascinating. And one of the things was, so there were 12 tribes, right? One of the tribes, Levi, that entire tribe was set aside as a priesthood. So they're establishing a religious segment of people in their community who are going to be responsible for keeping first the tabernacle, which was the moving tent, and then when they settled the temple, keeping everything stocked, keeping everything clean, processing all of the offerings that people would bring in. It's a lot of slaughter. It's a lot of cleanup. It's a lot of cooking and keeping fires going and all of that. So an entire 12th was set aside. Those people... Um, were meant to be a gift to Israel. They were, God was, in the Old Testament, the way we read it, God was making sure to establish this idea that there was the, the human existence and then there was their relationship with the divine. And they needed to understand that the divine was holy, meaning set apart, not in a, not in a hierarchical way, but in an otherworldly way. The holiness of God needed to be impressed upon these people who came out of Egypt, which was a polytheistic community that believed that there was a God behind every tragedy, every blessing, every natural occurrence, and there was this different mindset that was being established. And so this idea of holiness or setting things apart for the Lord was trying to establish a right relationship between their earthly, human, normal existence and the ways that they interacted with God. And setting this tribe apart was part of that. So there were people dedicated to maintaining this on behalf of the entire community. So one of the scriptures says, and this is God speaking, Behold, I myself have taken your fellow Levites, the tribe of Levi, from among the sons of Israel. They are a gift to you, dedicated to the Lord, to perform the service of the tent of meeting. That's the tabernacle, because they're still traveling in the wilderness. But you and your sons with you shall attend to your priesthood for everything concerning the altar and inside the veil, and you are to perform service. He's talking to Aaron, the head priest. Um, another aspect of the Levites, um, if you could go to the next one. Or no, that was the right one. Yeah. Um, then the Lord said to Aaron, the head priest, you shall have no inheritance in their land, nor own any portion among them. I am your portion and your inheritance among the sons of Israel. 
To the sons of Levi, behold, I have given all the tithe in Israel for an inheritance in return for their service, which they perform in their service to the tent of meeting. So did you catch they aren't allowed to own property? In a society where the property you own was everything, they were not allowed to own property. So this tithe, this tent, fed them. (laughs) It was literally how they were sustained as a tribe. It wasn't something that just got burned out back in a wasteful sort of way, which was honestly how I understood a lot of the sacrifices most of my Christian life. This was literally something that was set aside for the Lord and then used to support another piece of the community. So um, you can get into it a little bit more. There's one-tenth that goes to the priest, one-tenth of that goes to Moses as their leader, and then one-tenth of what Moses got went specifically to Aaron, their high priest. So covered all the bases. Um, So then we move on. We're now in Deuteronomy 14, and we're preparing to settle into the promised land. So Deuteronomy is a lot of instruction for when you get into the land, here is what you need to do. Here's where you go, here's what you set up, I'll appoint a place for my temple, blah, blah, blah. So they were going to come to their specially appointed place, um, which ends up being Jerusalem, um, and they have to go specifically to that place to present their tithes and offerings. Um, This drives the point that this was a holy matter. You don't just grab some of what you're making for dinner, throw it on the fire, and you're done. There is a place, there is a way, there is a process, there is a ritual that is all not meant to create hardship, but to create that sense of holiness, that this is a practice, this is something that we are doing as a community. Not that different from us coming here on a Sunday, right? Like, they just, there was a designated holy place for them to worship. If they couldn't travel with their offering, say that, you know, it was too much, too big, something like that, Then they could sell it, and then they could bring that silver. When they got to the temple, they could buy animals for sacrifice. This is what Jesus was so irked about in the New Testament when he's turning over tables and driving people out. Those tables were meant to be places where people could exchange their money and then buy those sacrifices. But then they ended up gouging people, adding all sorts of like conversion fees, and basically made it super expensive for people to do what God was calling them to do and giving their tithes and offerings. Does that make sense why that was so, like it's not just Jesus was mad, like there was a violation of the whole purpose behind why they were coming to to the exchange tables to begin with. Um, And then, and I don't know the mechanics of this, I did not have time to look into it, I wanted to give this to you, I'm just gonna read you the scripture. (laughs) Every three years, I'll just, I'll read the passage. At the end of every third year, you shall bring out all the tithe of your produce in that year and shall deposit it in your town. The Levite, because he has no portion or inheritance among you, and the alien, the orphan, and the widow who are in your town shall come and eat and be satisfied in order that the Lord your God may bless you and all the work of your hand which you do. You see this theme over and over and over again when the Old Testament talks about tithes, offerings, and sacrifices. Um, There are laws put in place that when they were gathering produce from the field, they weren't to go to the edges. 
the produce on the edges were to be left there for the widow, the foreigner, and the alien. Over and over, if you read in context, the Old Testament sets up a beautiful welfare system that is meant to ensure that not one person goes hungry. Some will have more than others, but nobody will be in need. And then Deuteronomy 26 reiterates this idea of portions for the needy and for the Levite. You can go to the next slide. Then uh, we enter the promised land. We get established. We have the season of the judges. Very excited to talk more about those later this year. Israel asks for a king. They're given Saul, then David, and then in the 900s BC, they get Solomon. After Solomon, um, the Game of Thrones years begin throughout Chronicles. Um, the kingdom eventually divides into the north, which continues to be called Israel, and the south, which is called Judah. And there are just a series of horrible kings that parade through. Um, they are often described as even more wicked than his father. And much of the prophetic books in the, in the Old Testament, if you read those, they're written during this time. So we don't have the chronological um, layout of those books, but most of the prophets are speaking to one of these kings or soon after one of these kings. Um, so a lot of the condemnation we see about misuse of the temple and taking advantage of the needy are specifically in context of, of these events. One of the good kings was Hezekiah. He started around 713 BC in Judah, and he took it upon himself to restore that kingdom back to God. It's actually quite beautiful uh, when you see the way he begins to reestablish that, um, that social and religious understanding of who the people are, because they don't know who they are anymore. They're lost in all of the world events and all of the things that are happening. Their leaders have not been faithful, and so he begins to try to reestablish that for them. Um, and in 2 Chronicles 31, we see some description of the reestablishment of the temple, the priesthood, and the Levites. Um, just a snippet, I didn't want to read the whole thing, but it says that Hezekiah also appointed the king's portion. Sorry, yeah, you can go to the next slide. Um, he also appointed the king's portion of his goods for the burnt offerings, namely for the morning and evening burnt offerings, uh, and burnt offerings for the Sabbaths and for the new moons and for the fixed festivals, as it was written in the law of the Lord. Also, he commanded the people who lived in Jerusalem, the main city, to give their portion due to the priests and to the Levites, that they might devote themselves to the law of the Lord. And you could read this, that they might once again devote themselves to the law of the Lord. So, to sum up, and this was a very, very quick snapshot, but all of these passages are in the context of worship. And all of these passages, when you look at the chapters surrounding them, are around the idea of how Israel relates to their God and through that relate to one another. So then we go into the New Testament. Jesus talks about giving, we see all sorts of different things in the letters, Keep in mind, these letters are always written to a specific group of people in a specific context facing specific situations. So you can go through and find all kinds of instruction on giving and receiving. Just keep in mind that sometimes the instruction is based on a specific need. Um, all right, that's the Bible part. Before I drive into the rest of it, 
do you have any thoughts? Do you have any opinions? Do you have any questions about that kind of perusal through the Old Testament? The beauty and the fact that they created a welfare system. Yeah. We miss that. Like, that's one of the things about the Old Testament. I don't want to go off on a, a tangent, but that's one of the beautiful things about understanding the context of the Old Testament. It was actually very progressive for the time being over 2,000 years ago. So, yeah, obviously it looks oppressive now, but that's because we have no idea how barbaric things were at the time. So, like I said, the reason I'm telling you this is because I want us to understand the idea of generosity, giving, and serving in a spiritual context. We're not looking for, for your checkbook. That's not, that's an old term, sorry. We're not looking for your online account. We're... <laughs> Um, we just want to understand that there are ways that giving um, plays into our spiritual practices. I will say, um, I've been involved in a lot of churches and spiritual communities. Never have I seen this system more in action than I do at Imago. And that's truly because of all of you. When there's a Lula or a Jolt request, um, I see people responding immediately meal trains when people in the community have need, surround and the, you know, book, uh, book bag drives and things like that. Um, not only within these walls, but in the homes and streets and workplaces that we all abide in. But not just outside these walls, there is also a seeking to take care of one another. When Melinda talks about $750 going to benevolence, please don't gloss over that. Benevolence means it went to people in need in the community. So there are faces and situations and struggles and heartbreak behind every one of those dollars. And the $750 that went to ease those things were a spiritual practice on behalf of Imago. So don't gloss over that. It's important and it really matters. I saw Ken just today posted a need for games. Um, I have no doubt that before the end of the day, he will most likely have what he needs from this community. It's really beautiful, guys. Like, you really have no idea. In 2015, 2016, um, I had stepped away from Imago for a season, and a few months later, I lost my job. It was the first time I'd ever lost a job. It was a downsizing situation. It came out of nowhere. And even though I wasn't attending here, the community that came around me in that time, to this day, is the biggest evidence I've ever seen of God at work in the people here. It was years ago, and it still impacts me in ways that I can't communicate. I had four offers for places to live that day because my apartment was connected to my job. And so I immediately knew I didn't have to worry about where I was going to be sleeping. I had people who, I was lucky I got a severance package so I could pay my bills, but people's generosity when I would decline, you know, coffee dates and stuff like that, trying to be somewhat gracious, and people just bowled me over like that stupid, come on, we're gonna go. My partner lived in Rockford at the time. We had not been together that long. She stepped up in amazing, beautiful ways to help take care of me and make me feel like I wasn't a burden. It was six months before I found work and every single day I was doing everything I could to try to find work. I was volunteering so I didn't feel like a, a wart on a log because I hadn't not worked since I was like 12 years old. Um, it was very humbling and it was very challenging, but I was never alone. I can't even look at that side of the room because Vicki and Corey were a huge part of that time for me as well. 
So I need you to know that it's not just about what passes through the church office. This community takes care of one another in relationship. And some of the needs of Imago as a church, they're, they're boring, but they're necessary. Maintaining the building, a lot of outside groups benefit from us having this building and having heat on and having lights on, making sure we have insurance so that things are covered, making sure that coffee is stocked. And a lot of it's vital to who we are as a people making sure our staff is able to take care of us by supporting them, making sure that the Sunday school has supplies, making sure that as we go into special events, we can create atmospheres with um, not just decorations, it's not just about you know, putting something pretty up, it's about creating a sacred space that you can come into and have an experience outside of the norm, making sure the coffee is stocked. <laughs> like, um, we want to make sure that those needs are actually taken care of so that we can worry about the other things, the more important things. Your financial generosity is a holy thing. Now, to be clear, financial generosity can also be donating to charities, giving to other organizations that are doing meaningful work that you're passionate about, taking care of somebody in your actual life who has need, those all count too. So I am not excluding those efforts by any stretch. Imago is one of the places that can benefit from your generosity, but it's not the only one that matters. So what if you can't give? I want to dig into that first, that first bit. I don't know if any of you can relate as much as I do to Bilbo Baggins' statement in The Lord of the Rings, feeling like butter scraped over too much bread. It is one of my favorite analogies in the world, and I have felt it financially most of my, my young life, again, even into my 30s. When I was still very impressionable, uh, 21 years old, the parents of the guy I was dating at the time, I was very close to, and I heard a story from them about having been involved when the boys were really young, so this would have been like the 70s, early 80s, they were part of, at the time, the biggest church in the Peoria area. Um, she led their Sunday school. She was a teacher uh, of little ones, and she led the Sunday school for them. Rory was the most amazing musician I have ever heard to this day, builds guitars from scratch, and he was one of the main people helping with their worship services. He was a janitor. She was a part-time uh, school aide, I think, at the time. Two occasions over the course of a couple of different winters, they went to the church, and Rory told them, he was, he was the dad, and he told them, look, here's the deal. I have enough money to either pay my tithe or pay my electric bill. I don't know what to do. Both times, he was told, pay your tithe and God will provide. Both times their power got turned off with two littles in the house and the church did nothing. That set something in me as a young person that was wholeheartedly opposed to any church spending that didn't include taking care of their own people. I get really angry about it still because he permanently walked away from the faith walked away from the church, wanted nothing to do with any of it from that day forward. 
from the second time it happened forward. Part of the point of us giving to a community is the assurance that the people within that community are being taken care of. Now, that doesn't mean that if your cable's getting shot off, that you should come to the church and ask for help with that bill. But never, ever, ever within this community should you be worried about your power getting turned off with your littles at home, or even if you don't have littles, if you just don't have it. Does that make sense? So if you're part of a community that tells you give and God will provide and you don't see that church being the vehicle of that provision, pay your bills. <laughs> don't, they can't be depended on. Um, now that's not here, but I just want to make it very clear. God provides through God's people, not through magic checks that arrive in mailboxes. I don't, un uh, anyway. <laughs> Take care of the needs of your family. Now, if you go to the next slide, I do also want to walk through other ways that we have to give. I'll be honest that, again, through that season, my 20s into my 30s, I didn't have two nickels to rub together. And the sermons about giving made me feel very ashamed. I went back into childhood stuff and whatever until I started thinking about the fact that the reality was for almost all of that time, I was single. I didn't have family obligations, I didn't have children, so what I had in surplus was time and energy. And so I tried to use that instead, the time that I would give to a family. It was a little Catholic of me, but I think that's okay. Um, I basically saw the church as my family, and so that was where I parked all that energy. I, you know, was a youth pastor for years and worked with youth when I wasn't on staff. I did the slides for worship. I thought it was important. People know where we were going. Didn't love it, wasn't passionate about it, but I could hit a button. Um, I got involved with teaching and preaching. I did event planning. I helped with special seasons, women's ministry. Um, when we had the Arcadia building, I was in charge of the chapel and the prayer events that we would do there. I can hold babies, I can help with small groups. I will say, I, I've never done breakfast club. Um, I did it for a brief stint, but it wasn't long before I realized it was not for me. Um, I've never been to Honduras. I don't do everything, um, but I did everything that I could to try to make myself a useful part of the community, knowing that I couldn't do that through a financial gift. Volunteering is not just about warm bodies. Sometimes it is. Sometimes we just need people to do things. And, and sometimes serving is about just doing that thing because you can. But it's about finding ways to engage the community, even if it is something you're not passionate about. It's just a way to be part of what's happening. But sometimes you do get to do things that bring you life and that connect you to your purpose and make you feel like you are thriving within the community. And that doesn't have to be flashy. It doesn't have to be up here. Um, the things that bring you life could be loving on other people's kids so they have a chance to come into the service and engage worship unencumbered. You could be really passionate about the fact that you don't despise mornings and like people. And so you can stand outside and smile at people and greet them and hand them some information and tell them to have a great day. 
you don't want me out there in the morning. I'm going to glare at everybody. Like, I like you, but I don't like morning. Um, it could be that you understand the value of reading scripture as part of our, our service flow. And so maybe you don't want to get up and speak, but you're comfortable coming up, putting a cross around your neck, and reading the word of God to the people. A perfect example of this, and I did get permission before sharing this, is Kelly. Kelly takes care of our garden and our grounds. The place is more beautiful than it's ever been, in my opinion, with her at the helm. She, I don't think, gets a ton of credit for the amount of work that she does, because while it's seen, it's not broadcast. And so we need to recognize that she's passionate about it. If you follow her on Facebook, she will teach you more about botany than you ever knew you didn't know. Like, you get to see all sorts of beautiful photos. Like, she loves God's creation, and she lets that play out in the way that she contributes to the community. It's beautiful, and it's awesome. And if I could speak for her, I think that it helps her to feel like she thrives, um, and she's giving in a really meaningful way, right? You have something in you that this community desperately needs. And when I call you to give it, it's not just because we need it. I genuinely believe you will feel more connected to the community and more connected to your purpose and the image of God within you as you walk through those things. Whether it's doing something that you're not passionate about because it needs to be done for the community or really getting into those spaces that bring you to life. The other reason that you might not be able to give is because you're the one in need. When the church is healthy, it's meant to be taking care of one another. And so sometimes that means you're giving, and sometimes you're the one receiving the gift. This requires some things of you, even in your need. It requires relationship. Your needs can't be taken care of if nobody knows what they are. It requires humility, not a very American thing, to be honest with your community to say there is a need. And it requires vulnerability. It is hard to receive. When I lost my job, every single gift was a knife to my gut in the shame. And I had to allow the love to outweigh the wound. It, it's just a reality of it. So how much is enough? Okay, that's another thing I would hear in churches all the time. It's 10% of the uh, gross, not the net. It's 10% of your 401k contribution as well. It's 10% of the, the gifts that you're given. So at Christmas, you take 10% of, I mean, I'm talking some serious nitty-gritty stuff. The last few years, um, I'd say the last seven, were really rough uh, for me professionally. I was able to find a job. Um, but the two jobs that I had were soul-sucking. Um, I had never experienced anything like it. I had nothing to give, no time, no energy, no effort. I dropped balls. I let people down. I didn't show up to things. My health was impacted. But the last year and a half have started to become really restorative. And there are times that I have to actually remind myself, no way you do have margin now. Because I am so used to instinctively, I have nothing. I, I get stressed out at every ask because I don't have any margin. I have nothing to give. No, wait, but you do now. Like, there is space. Like, it doesn't have to be stressful. 
I don't know if other people are in that place as we're coming past the COVID years that are never really going to be over because they permanently changed things. But as we try to find our new normal, I would say maybe question yourself if you feel like you don't have margin in any of those areas. Just check in. Make sure it's still true. It might still be, but just check in. Maybe take a little time to review, have my circumstances changed to where maybe I do have something to give that I couldn't a year ago. We face obstacles when we talk about this stuff. And when I read this list of obstacles, again, no shame, no condemnation. I struggle with every one of these things. It's just about shining light on things that we might be able to address. Greed is, is something that we deal with. Um, envy, the other side of that. Wanting what other people have or not feeling like we can spare what we have. Um, that goes into hoarding as well. We have entire reality TV shows on hoarding. <laughs> hoarding as a collector is one thing, but hoarding to the point where you have nothing that you can offer somebody else, that starts to get a little trickier. And Jesus talks about that, you know, with the, the grain silo and the guy who ends up dying that night. Not to scare anybody, I'll finish it story if anybody needs. Um, just fear. There's a lot of fear and anxiety about the future. Um, life is expensive, healthcare is expensive, retirement is expensive, cars are expensive. We don't know what's coming. And so sometimes our fear causes us to just want to not let anything go in case of what might happen in the future. Gluttony, we just consume everything that we have. Um, this is one I struggle with in a lot of different ways. Um, and part of it comes from a scarcity mentality from being a kid. You never knew when money was gonna come through the door again, so you used it up as quickly as it came in. I am working on this. This is one that I have to keep going back to and saying, I, I am okay. <laughs> I don't have to be afraid of the future. I don't have to consume everything that I earn right away. Um, and then sloth, just not wanting to deal, and so not dealing. <laughs> um, that's something that we have jokes and memes and all sorts of stuff about, you know, uh, namaste in bed and, and all that stuff. And sometimes there are times when we need to step aside, but sometimes we need to like maybe suck it up a little bit for the sake of other people. Um, again, when I'm working on and actually getting my tail here when I'm not serving and being in the room <laughs> because it matters that I'm here with all of you. Um, so I say these things to say like all of us are probably wrestling with one of the things on that list. Just take some time, take some introspection, sit with God in it, and if there's nothing to change right now, just because you even don't want to, then just acknowledge that that is the case so that you have clear line of sight for when that might change. Um, if you wanna to go to the next slide. C.S. Lewis, who will forever and ever be one of my favorites. Um, I don't remember where this quote is from, but I've read it quite a few times. Um, he says, if our charities do not at all pinch or hamper us, I should say that they are too small. There ought to be things that we should like to do and cannot do because our charitable expenditure excludes them. It's not to say that you can't do the things you want to do, but there is an element of sacrifice when it comes to being in a community. And again, that can be just as much time, emotional energy, mental energy as it can be funds. But I like that idea that it should pinch a little. Um, I know people who live their financial lives under this banner. 
And it's a really beautiful thing to see. Um, there are people who have almost nothing to give who live under this banner. There are people who have more than they could ever know what to do with who live under this banner. So to wrap up, you can go to the last slide. We never want to make somebody feel like there's a barrier to worship and community at Imago, including when we get into topics like sex, politics, and money. But we do believe that these are spiritual practices, that they are acts of worship and acts of community for those who feel that invitation. These are just some of the spaces that we have within this community that could use effort, time, networking, skill sets, funds. Um, take a look at that. And if there is something that pops out to you, not because of the size of the font, but um, that was not, there's no meaning behind that. <laughs> um, but if there's something that pops out to you that piques your interest or, or just piques a little conviction to maybe get involved, reach out and, and let somebody know and we can get you connected there. But again, if you are hearing any pressure, any guilt, any shame, please let me know because I want to walk through that because none of that is intended. But I would encourage you over the next few weeks, especially as we're heading into Lent, um, Eat, Drinks, and Orthodoxy, we'll be talking about fasting and giving in February and March as ways to dive into um, what we experience during Lent. But I would challenge you to take some time to just think about why you give or why you don't, what it would mean if you were to start, or what it would mean if you were to give in a different way, and where you might be in a place to be open to receiving from the community as well. Offering boxes are in the back. You can always give online. If you are interested in helping with any of the spaces in the community, just reach out to um, the staff or leadership and we can connect you. I genuinely hope every person who is hearing this feels like you are enough a part of this community to engage both in giving and receiving in acts of service and, um, and these acts of worship.